kind of symbology. What is at stake? It is a big idea. A new world order where diverse nations are drawn together in common cause to achieve the universal aspirations of mankind. My question to you is, in any of your government jobs, have you ever been briefed on the subject of UFOs? And if you have, when was it? What were you told? Well, if I had been briefed on that, I'm sure it was probably classified and I couldn't talk about it. I got out in 1989, we had cataloged 57 different species. We walked over to one side of the lab and he said, by the way, we've discovered a base. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Alrighty, from the deep down south, or as they call us down here, the Sunshine State, I bid everybody a good evening, a good afternoon, uh, buenos dias, buenas noches, donde están, wherever you may be, this is Skywatchers Radio, and hopefully everybody is nice and relaxed and uh, having a good time after the Super Bowl. Alan, how the heck are you, my friend? I am amazingly amazing today, yeah, that's the good answer. Did you lose any money, my friend? Did you lose any uh, loot? No, as a matter of fact, just by sheer chance, I did not lose a penny. So no betting, huh? Nope, nope. A lot of people lost money. An amazing uh, loss, too. Jeez, what a game. Now, this (laughs) is not a sports game, but I just had to open up with that because it was embarrassing. Oh, jeez. It was brutal. It was was almost like a conspiracy. I feel like a UFO lifted uh, Peyton Manning up in the air and just dropped him from like 50,000 feet into his head. Just dropped him straight ahead. Well, That's how bad it was. Well, these things happen. What can you do? Yeah, it does. <laughs> but we are live on Skywatchers Radio. I want to thank everybody listening in on both the Dark Matter Radio Network and, of course, PSN Radio. And we're live every week here on Tuesday evening. Right now, it's still 11 p.m. Eastern, but like we've said, and we've been hyping for a little bit as soon as we get the word from our uh, webmaster and chief Keith Rowland, we're going to be making that switch over to 1 a.m., uh, but I do want to give a shout-out to uh, the show that right now is airing after us, Epic Voyages, will be airing right after this show, and, of course, that's on Dark Matter Radio Network. On PSN Radio, we're going to have Open Minds with Alejandro Rojas, so everybody stick around on each individual network for those shows. Tonight, we have a really cool lineup. Have our good friend Paul Dio Roberts is going to join us in a few minutes here for the first hour. And during the second hour, this is a good one, Alan. I know, I know that uh, you know a lot about this. I, I, I've been waiting for this guy. I really, really have. Uh, he, he's been on enough Ancient Aliens and every other show out there. He's actually one of the most well-respected, well-looked-at people out there in the community when it comes to actually talking sense and actually... Doing great interviews. Uh, it's the man himself, you know. Jason Martell is going to be with us. And Jason Martell has been on many, many radio shows, TV shows. He's talked about ancient aliens. Uh, he's a very, very knowledgeable guest. So I look forward to having him on in the second hour. I've actually interviewed him once before on my other show. And he is uh, definitely a great person to talk to on these subjects, especially the ancient alien stuff, which really always 
has interested me. You know, I, I don't buy a whole lot of it. Like, there, I have my grievances, so let's just call it that, with a, a few of the ancient alien guys. Uh, but there is enough evidence, Alan, to kind of suggest that, yeah, there was some tampering in the past. Obviously, we're not the first beings that walked on this planet with intelligence. I think there's enough evidence of that already for the last uh, maybe 100,000 years or 200,000 years. Maybe even further back, there was some kind of an intelligent being that walked this Earth. And, uh, you know, there could be some truth to it, I think. What do you think? I think that there's enough out-of-place artifacts that they've found over the course of the past couple of centuries, not just decades, that uh, would lend credibility to that statement, yeah. Now, remember also, folks, uh, boys and girls, this planet is about 4.6 billion, that's with a B, billion years old, as science is telling us right now. Because, let's be honest, there's no real, you know, there's, I don't think there's a 100% certain way that a scientist could say, okay, this is uh, the exact age of the planet. They could get pretty close. They could be off a billion. They could, be off, they could be off a couple hundred million. I don't know how exact their measurements are, but let's just roughly say the planet's been around four or five billion years, right? Now, right hang now. on one second. Are you counting uh, into that the fact of a large planetoid object coming into contact with the Earth and breaking off and uh, forming the moon? Are you factoring that into the account? Well, no, see, that could be within the four point something billion or five billion, or that could be way before that. We don't know. Or sometime after that. We don't know when. Yeah, we don't know. Like, you know, dinosaurs, for example, have been extinct for a long time, right? But that was only, what, how many million years ago? We're not exactly sure. Gee, according to some people, uh, dinosaur walked with man, Um, you know, and... Right. You know, Jesus floated on water and, uh, you know, and all that stuff. Think about that for a second, what Alan just said. Dinosaurs are thought to have walked with men, but yet they've supposedly been extinct for you know millions of years, right? 50 million years? Yeah, true, but didn't they find recently in the past uh, decade uh, in a riverbed two imprints, one of a dinosaur and one of a man, literally right near each other, um, you know, in the mud that was actually hardened and um, like a plaster kind of a thing? Yes, you're correct, and that just goes further to, and it's funny you say that, because this is not planned, guys. Uh, this is actually just uh, came out of his head. Uh, yeah, but we're that's just talking true. off the cuff and off the fly here. That's actually a very we are that's so a totally true story. Prepared tonight, it's not fun. No, just teasing. Yeah. Anyway, no, but he, he's actually 100 percent correct. That's actually true, and that just furthers my point. That guess what? The planets had life here for a very long time, and a lot of it's looked humanoid from even our own records. Uh, so the Bible may have been just a little bit off in the timeline, but the point is, in the four to five billion years, Alan, there's a very good chance that aliens or even humanoid beings that were evolved on this planet at some point became smart enough to take flight and leave the planet and go fly in the cosmos. You know, we're limiting that only us are going to be able to do that in the next couple hundred years. Yeah, but, but my why, why only us? My you know problem. I mean? and it, worry it could have been this. done before. Hold on. Dude, dude, hold on. Here's what you got to worry about, though. Are they coming back? Well, maybe they never left. You know, and that goes to our speaker that we had uh, last week talking about, was it last week or the week before, talking about the inner earth theory. Right. So, you know. That was a couple weeks ago, yeah. That, sorry, I lose track. Brooks, Brooks Agnew. 
I, I, I travel way too much in time, so I'm just you, know. you are a time traveler. No, but you're right. Like the inner Earth theory. Let, let's you know. Let's say there are pockets of life within the Earth, but let's just say that life has evolved on this planet in different forms. All humanoid, all intelligent. Some of it has left the Earth to explore, like we would do eventually, because we want to explore the cosmos, right? So right. that's you know, who is not to say that this, this has not happened before on this planet? And many, and maybe it happens on many planets, and it takes many, many, uh, you know, millennia is for that species that left the planet to come back because, you know, who knows where they're going to travel if they make it out there or they ever come back and by the time they come back, there's a whole new evolution on the planet with us here, so that could be also what, you know, all the uh, sightings are they're just us from the past that left and now they're back and, oh, wait a second, there are other kind of humans on the planet now uh, there's all kinds of different theories, but the point is uh, I think it's very limited to think that we are the only ones that are going to be able to, to be able to figure out how to travel the cosmos. I think we might have done it before in four or five billion years. And I think that is a large part of the ancient alien phenomenon. The ancient alien might be alien, but it might just be us at some point within this planet's evolution. Our own ancestors. You know, you're right. Well, not that it's our ancestors, but a tangent of humanity or a tangent right. of the precursor of humanity before we forked off. I mean, you know, there's just, you know, it, the possibilities literally are endless. And, you know, technology, what we have as technology might not have been technology. What we call magic now might have been the technology of, you know, millennia ago. That's correct, yeah. And just to let everybody know, in the, in the next few minutes, we are going to have Paul Dale Roberts. We are going to have open lines. There's some technology right there for you. Open lines, if you want to call in, 786 245 27 is the call-in number. You can also look us up on uh, Skype by looking up PSN Radio and look up Dark Matter Radio Network, and you'll be able to get through to Keith Rowland, who will patch right into us. I uh, wanted to get to a couple of news articles that I got here, Alan, and uh, just before we get to Paul Dale Roberts in the next uh, five or six minutes, uh, real quick, uh, this is from the Huffington Post. And um, Oh, don't tell me that Rhode Island incident that just happened. That Rhode, That's the one. Okay. I'll let you talk about it. I'm already familiar with it. But And by the way, callers, if you have comments about any of this, you know you can call in and talk with us tonight live on the radio. Once again, 786-245-8127. Call in. Check this out. Now I'm going to post this on our Facebook page. I'm going to post it also on the Facebook uh, event page that we made for our, our show tonight with uh, Jason Martell and... Paul Dale Roberts, uh, but I'm going to read it real quick. It says here, uh, the witnesses shot several photos of black disc uh, UFOs, including this image that, sh- that is shown here on uh, the Huffington Post. Uh, it says I, think, two I West- think the Huffington Post is reasonably reputable. Pretty good. One. I mean, they're pretty good. I mean, it's not like we're reading from The Onion. No, no, no. But I'll tell you this. The, I don't know if it was The Onion or whoever did it, but did you see that C-SPAN uh, recording that they, I think it was The Onion that did it? Mm, no, missed that one. Oh, the budgetary thing. Oh, you got to hear it. It's it's just totally freaky how they uh, – it's like every other word is classified. We can't tell you about it. The budget for this is classified. In case of an invasion by classified, we have to worry about all the body bags that we need to buy because of the classified. It, well, it, that's, it, a, that's it, how those meetings actually go though, Alan. It's all yeah. classified. Well, yeah, but you know they actually – Someone actually got a recording of it, and it was like, uh, it, it was like, wow, oh my god, this was like, it was stunning. It, I was just like dropping my jaw on that 
it actually sounded really, really, really cool. And it's actually on the uh, it's on the floor of Congress. I got to find this video while you're talking. So we can well, why don't we talk about that later? Because we 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 gotta keep it to uh, Skywatcher related material right now. Um, I think I think the way it was phrased uh, would definitely be Skywatcher related. Absolutely. Well, let's get back to this Rhode Island story. In fact, if okay. people want to read along, uh, go to uh, facebook.com forward slash Skywatchers Radio. I just posted the link right there, so you could read along with us. It's the Huffington Post. Uh, Rhode Island report uh, straight up. Uh, it's it's an amazing looking picture, but it's not so amazing when you really know how to do this stuff. But if you're a new, if you're a newbie at this, if you're a noob, as they say on the internet, and you and you don't know anything about camera work, this would be kind of an amazing looking photo. You'll be like, oh man, real UFOs. But it says here, two West Green, uh, Greenwich, uh, Rhode Island witnesses reported watching uh, and photographing two hovering black discs. Uh, UFOs about 5:33 p.m. on uh, January 31st just happened according to a testimony in case of uh, says your case number 53853 from the uh, mutual ufo network mufon witnesses reported uh, reporting database the two were uh, driving along a local highway when uh, two objects were spotted while looking out their uh, passenger side window and i quote here the person said i told my boyfriend to look and he grabbed a series of pictures showing the objects standing still in the sky hovering the reporting uh, reporting witnesses uh, stated they were circular and had no lights uh, a couple got off of the next exit and drove towards where they saw the object. Uh, we have lost, said, we, said here, we had lost them uh, in the trees after taking the exit, but by the time we reached the area they were previously above, they were gone. We also saw a helicopter heading in the same direction as we drove closer. Now, what do you think of the picture, Alan? Um, I see spots in the air. That's about the best thing I'm going to say to it right now. Uh, you know what those things are right there? Those little two things with those little dots right there? Uh, spots on the camera? Nope. Those are birds, ladies and gentlemen. Dun, dun, dun. Yes, that deserves. The, uh, the black discs that are hovering in midair. Uh, I don't see any wing protrusions. I don't see any beaks. I don't see anything. I don't know. Uh, you know. Well, this, uh, is, this is what happens when you have a blurry picture. Uh, yeah, but what's interesting, the trees are blurry, like but the UFOs aren't? No, they're they're plenty blurry. Okay, I, I just see spots and dots. I, I, I call shenanigans, I think, on this one. I'm going to call it and uh, say it's birds. You think it's just spots on the camera? I mean, uh, I don't know what it, it is, but I don't think it's UFO. Uh, nothing shiny, nothing metallic. It's just solid black. Uh, either that or it's some stealth drone we don't know about the government's going to be using on us real soon. I just don't know. Could be. Could be. If you wake up with a headache tomorrow, Alan, that's probably what it is. Hang on, let me get my tinfoil sleeping cap and uh, protect myself. There you go. Good job. <laughs> now, I have another story here. This is a retired NASA astrobiologist. It's going to come out, and uh, he's going to uh, pretty much announce that, uh, yeah, he's going to present evidence of extraterrestrial life at a UFO conference. Well, I'm looking forward to that, but I'm willing to bet it's going to just boil back down to that rock that got shot out of the water in 96, uh, the meteorite from Mars. Uh, it's all microbial. It's all microbacterial. It's all micro, 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 micro. And uh, that I can understand being throughout the entire universe. I want them to say there's life that's evolved past the microbial stage that we found. Right, but it's a good step at least, to get him to admit, hey, we found some kind of life, that it's not from Earth. Yeah, but it's we found step. that in, but we found that and confirmed that in 96. 
Yeah, but it's funny how they never mentioned that, huh? Yeah, you notice? It's called selective review of opinions. It's called no se- selective news. Well, check this out. Richard Hoover, it's a, it's, it's a controversial astrobiologist, and uh, and his colleagues are at the, uh, center, uh, at the Center for Astrobiology at the University of Buckingham, have been making worldwide headlines for years due to their claims that scientists have already obtained valid evidence for extraterrestrial life. There you go. Hoover will uh, be presenting some of the evidence at the uh, International UFO Congress at Fort uh, McDowell uh, Radisson in in Fountain Hills, Arizona, uh, Thursday, uh, February 13th, coming up. So if you guys are in Arizona, go there. This might be something that you might want to be there for one day. It might be something important. You never know. Uh, Hoover's controversial claims caught major media attention while he was working as uh, the astrobiology group leader at NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center in Huntsville, Alabama in Alabama, in 2011. And in March of that year, Fox News ran the story about a sneak preview they received of a paper that Hoover submitted to the Journal of Cosmology in which he claimed to have found evidence of uh, microfossils inside the meteorites. Micro, micro, micro. We go right. back again to it. Correct. Hoover told Fox News, and uh, he's, and as I'm quoting here, says, I interpreted it as indicating that life is more broadly distributed than restricted strictly to the planet Earth. Hmm. There you go. The chief in, uh, says he's the editor-in-chief of the Journal of Cosmology of Harvard Astro- uh, Astrophysicist uh, Doctor, that's a tough one for me. Always, Doctor Rudy Shield said Hoover's paper was a peer-reviewed uh, paper and uh, said that he agreed with uh, Hoover's uh, conclusions. Uh, so they all agree. However, other NASA scientists and many uh, mainstream astrobiologists may remain skeptical. I'm not skeptical. Well, I'm not skeptical about. I'm not skeptical about life on other planets. Um, intelligent life. Eh, you know, besides what we're seeing flying in the air, who knows how long ago they they came here and how long they're going to be here. Um, yep. I'm trying to get sold on, you know, some... It's like, why do these guys always get shot down? The first thing out of the mouth of the mainstream public is, nope, fiction, hoax, uh-uh, no, uh-uh. Well, if I had the answer for that, I'd be a really wealthy man. But uh, you know who also doesn't have the answer for that, but it's going to be a lot of fun to talk to? Paul Dale Roberts. He's going to be with us in a couple minutes right here on Skywatchers Radio. And, uh, yeah, no answers, but like I said, it'll be fun. Stick around. Again, open lines if you want to call in, 786-245-8127. And uh, Skype us. Absolutely. We want someone to come in and call us with an argumentative question. We have fun with those. A compliment, you know. Yeah, give come on. Anything. Give, give Angel know. a compliment, folks. Just give me a com- I want a compliment tonight from somebody. You're doing a good job, kid. You're a okay. your aces. Just no, remember nothing. the burns don't count. That's true. They can't burns call don't it. count. Okay. Damn it. I was just about to type to Nancy. Anyway, we'll be back, everybody. <laughs> Hi, 
I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person, too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. Do your kids share a bedroom with a sibling? Is dorm room privacy a problem? Introducing Privacy Pop, a new way to create a private and comforting space on your bed. Privacy Pop is a bed tent that fits over twin, twin extra long, full, and queen beds. Privacy Pop is your ticket to seclusion in crowded sleeping quarters. Privacy Pop is the perfect holiday gift for the youngster who likes building forts and cramp college dorm rooms. Log on to privacypop.com and see how this unique sleeping system easily pops out from a small carrying case. Easy to store and simple to set up. Privacypop.com. That's privacypop.com. The perfect holiday gift for your grandchildren or your own kids who want a fun bed fort. Choose their favorite color. See this unique sleeping system now. Act now for a limited time offer. Use promo code RADIO in the checkout cart for free shipping. Log on to privacypop.com. Use promo code RADIO for free shipping. Join the club that gives you stuff. Hey, thanks. Radio loyalty. Here's how it works. Just click on the radio loyalty banner right now and sign up. Then you keep on listening like you already do. But now you earn points. Those points add up and you can trade them in for stuff in the radio loyalty store. Earn more points by sharing your station with friends on Facebook and Twitter, answering surveys, and by using the apps in the new players app store. Pretty simple, right? Radio loyalty. Click that banner to join now. Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call key information solutions now. 954-973-3374. That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Hi folks, Ronnie McMullen here for Life Change Tea. Healthcare is a problem. Whether you're for or against Obamacare, it's a mess. My question is, who do you trust? Do you want to be told what to do, or do you want to make your own decision? My opinion, preventative maintenance. Keeping your colon clean is preventative maintenance. A little exercise, a balanced diet, and drinking Life Change Tea. It tastes great, and it helps with constipation, high cholesterol, liver problems, acid reflux, and much, much more. And with the holiday season upon us, you can get some extra tea for free. Don't wait for Obama. Make your own decision. Order now. Call us at 928-308-0408. That's 928-308-0408. 
Or you can log on to GetTheTea.com. That's GetTheTea.com. Ridding yourself of harmful toxins is truly preventative maintenance. GetTheTea.com. You're listening to the Dark Matter Radio Network. And those are the roots of trouble. Our day. I hear the love in the store. All right, everybody, we are back on Skywatchers Radio right here on the Dark Matter Radio Network and PSN Radio. And with us live is Paul Dio Roberts and his friend Monique, who's on the line with us. And, of course, my co-host every Tuesday night, Mr. Alan Weiler. Skywatchers Radio. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're you're here because I make you be here every Don't week. rub it in, yes. Yes, it, master. And if you guys want to call in and you want to join the fun, please do so. 786-245-8127 is our call-in number. Also, you can find us again on Skype, PSN Radio and Dark Matter Radio Network. And that cough you heard right there is from our guest, Mr. Paul Dale Roberts. Paul, what's up, buddy? You're back on the air. Hey, what's up, Jacqueline? Hey, you know, that cough is because two days ago I had a terrible cold. And now when me cast my roommate, she has my cold. Yeah, so, oh, wow. Oh, so you're, you but, guys are going back and forth with the, with the uh, terrible cold here, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm still a little bit congested, but... Um, one well, of aside things, from uh, that, how how you been, aside from the terrible cold? I've been on a lot of investigations. I'm still waiting for the summer to get here because we're going to do that Mount Shasta yeah. UFO Bigfoot investigation. And then we're going to do an investigation over in Antioch in which UFOs are being seen near a diamond mine and a uh, gold mine. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. So, now, can we get some yeah, gold got... to pay for our trip to Mount Shasta? That'd be nice. Hey, there you go. There you go. Well, wait a minute. When and, is the Mount you know, Shasta it... trip? Anyway, when is that Mount Shasta trip, and how do we uh, join if we it... want to? Oh, that's in July. Um, oh. So we'll be uh, headed up there. Uh, camping out all night and uh, doing a Bigfoot hunt during the daytime and a UFO hunt during the nighttime. And Mount Shasta being a very mystical mountain that it is, uh, the last of the Lemurians supposedly live inside the caverns. Um, um, they even had a sighting of the Bat Squatch. And the Bat Squatch was actually seen in Mount Rainier, but now there's reports that the Bat Squatch is being seen at Mount Shasta. Okay, I've yet to hear the term bat squatch, so... Yeah, that's new for me, too. What, yeah, that, that, is he, like, gonna... the cousin of the Batman? What are we working with here? Well, the bat squatch is basically uh, something that kind of almost resembles a sasquatch, but it has the head of a bat. And so, therefore, it's called the bat squatch. That, you know, now that you say it, it makes perfect sense. Hang on, I gotta yeah. Google this one. The bat Ooh. squash. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Google All right. it. Google it. Yes. Bat squash. And it was a sighting. The very first sighting, and where it was the moniker bat squash came from, was the sighting in Mount Rainier. 
No offense, but this, I'm looking at pictures and sketches. This thing looks like like the gargoyles from the old cartoon on CW. Kind of does, yeah. Huh. They, it's they look freaky, like, though. You know, it, it more looks like a wolf with... I mean, I'm looking at these pictures here of, you know, the artists... Uh, well, remember, these, this is artist rendering, and they're going to go on whatever rendering they have to go on, I guess. But uh, it, I've never heard of the bat squash. Since when has this uh, mythology been around? Oh, or this thing? Well, I, I, I don't remember when the first sighting was in Mount Rainier. Okay. But... Um, um, I guess there was several people who saw this flying creature that had the face of a bat and the body of a Sasquatch. I'm sorry, I, I got to stop you right there, and I got to call hoax on it this way and only this way. The amount of huh. mass of the weight of something of a Sasquatch size, you know what kind of wingspan you would need? You'd need at least a 50-foot wingspan to be able to lift that kind of weight. So in, unless you're telling me that that thing has a wingspan of 25 on each side and he's not hitting any trees with it, I got to say, I don't yeah, believe that's it. Yeah, I don't know about that one. I'm yeah, sorry. A, I, I, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm calling you on it. I'm not I calling mean, you think, on it. I'm calling they calling me out? What? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, not hey. calling, I'm not calling you out. <laughs> no. But I'm saying the, the, the physics. Yeah. Of this, yeah, yeah it just doesn't work. Yeah, you're unless right. he's wearing yeah. a Batman anti gravity belt or something, or or, uh, or whatnot, you cannot lift that mass with the short amount of wingspan that they're saying this thing has. Now, are you actually looking at one of the articles on there? Yeah, I am. As a matter of fact, I'm looking okay, at like what are four they, or five. Different what are they saying? What What are they saying that how much it weighs? Um, it, it, it doesn't say any weight, but based on the sketchings of the size of this thing, oh, it's, I it's, it's, yeah. it doesn't have – I mean, they, they didn't make the thing step on a scale for a weigh-in for a boxing match here. Come on. <laughs> you know? well, like, no, but, no, but look, just the mere, def, just well, the mere definition of what we're talking about here, it's a, a bat-headed well, Sasquatch. Also, too, no one's ever proven you know, that Mothman exists. But That's the same right. thing, it, go, it goes with the Mothman. You're but right. there's so many people who actually believe it. I'm and not saying that. Not to, I'm not saying yeah. that they don't exist. I'm saying no. I but Alan, 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 hold on. He he makes an excellent point though. If and you know we've always had the open mind that there, there could be something to the Mothman. If there is such a creature as a Mothman, it could be the same kind of uh, thing with this creature. Yeah, this but, could be yeah, another but, Mothman. Hold out on, there. hold on, Angel. I'm not arguing with you. That this exists, I'm arguing about it flying. When was well, the last time you saw a chicken a hundred feet in the air? I am with you a hundred percent, but we could say the same thing about the Mothman. Is right, right, right. I, I right. Can, it's got, I can it's tell got wings. You how it flies. I can tell you actually how it probably flies. Okay, very difficult. Ready? Go ahead. Are you Go ready? Ahead. Sure. Okay. Well, Mothman, okay, supposedly came out of a vortex out of this abandoned TNT factory over at Point Pleasant, right? Okay. So. What Sounds good to me say, already. Okay, and we never caught a Bigfoot. Okay, sure, right. we got this hunter who's climbing up and down. He shot one. I I haven't seen it yet. What if Bigfoot, Mothman, and Batsquatch are all elemental? So if they're elemental, let's say they can change themselves from a matter form into energy, then they would be able to fly. I don't think they're on 
based I don't on follow. how they've acted, based <laughs> on what people are seeing. They're on a high enough plane of existence to transform themselves into energy. They are too. Tough, never yeah. know. They you are too primal. Even even the greys go through walls. Yeah, abductees are saying they the greys when they're abducted. You're they right, go right true. through the walls. You're right, but we don't know if. Yes, but Grace have been known to use this thing called technology in one form or another. I have yet to hear hmm. that Squatch going through TSA to get on a plane to fly. Maybe the wings are some form of technology and not natural. But the only thing is, though, as a paranormal investigator, I have to investigate. So I, I, I agree. I have 100%. to check it now, out. Now, hold on. Like There's I said, I, I'm, not dis- I'm not saying that, he, that they don't exist. I'm right. saying I got a problem with the physics of them flying. But but as an investigator, what have you come up with? Like, what's your investigation led you with this thing? Um, well, with the Bat Squatch, I've only interviewed... Uh, I actually interviewed a couple of witnesses that actually claim they saw it. Okay. And um, there should be an article, if you Google it, Bat Squatch, Paul Dale Roberts, you'll see the uh, information on those witnesses. But they claim that they were out there, uh, I forget what they were doing, they weren't hunting. I think they were just camping out, and they saw this creature coming out from the trees, and they had a huge wingspan, and it flew off, and it, no, it swooped, uh, yeah, it swooped towards them, and then flew off. And, okay, and, and I understand where he's coming from um, um, about the Basquatch just being too heavy, to fly off anywhere, but what I'm always always thinking too is because a lot of the alien abductees that I do interview, they say that the greys come through the wall. So, and one who I interviewed, she said that they actually told her that they're able to transform from energy into matter. So I figure if the greys, and, and also too, if you look at the old Sumerian clay tablets, they they talk about a creature similar to. Bigfoot, and they went into the caverns, what's not to say that they don't have the same power as the greys do? It's a good point. And if Mothman, and Mothman, if he's uh, an extraterrestrial, he may have the same power. And, and even though we're able to see him fly, he's actually in an energy form. Now, has there been any credible? Has there been any credible proof of the Mothman, or mostly just stories and uh, reports of people seeing them? Well, yeah, like I, any images, any, any footage, footprint, any, any footprints, footprints, any DNA, any yeah, anything. any yeah. hair. Um, um, they, they've had some documentaries of which I've actually looked at, and where they have pictures of what looks like a Mothman. Uh, on top of a building. So, uh, but the only thing is, if something, okay, Mothman, the Greys have more proof than the Mothman. The Greys have more proof than, let's say, Bat Squatch. And, but it's just an interesting thing. It's why are certain people saying that they're seeing these things? What are they actually seeing? Are they seeing like a huge owl? And I'm just kind of curious, you know, and talk to some of these people, and maybe I'll have my own experience. I don't know. Maybe they're using really good moonshine these days. <laughs> well, even like when you watch Destination uh, Truth, I mm-hmm. mean, so many of those programs, 
they hunt for this and they hunt for this cryptid and and they come out empty-handed. I mean, there's just so many stories. See, that, but that's that's my main issue right there. There's never uh, any uh, definitive proof. You know what well, I mean? Well, hang on, a- hang on, hang on. I found a photo of that squatch. I'm Uh-oh. actually sending it to you in Skype. Oh, I, I see that. Let me let me download this thing. And while you guys are looking at that, yes. Um, also, too. Okay, okay. Check this out. <laughs> uh, I work at Department of Fish and Wildlife. Wow. And I talked to so many hunters, <laughs> and I got so many hunters out there who claim they see Bigfoot. So, um, and a lot of the hunters know that I am a paranormal investigator on the side, and they, they talk to me on the side, and they say, hey, Paul, I could tell you a story. So I hear so many stories. So, so are all of these people lying, or are they actually seeing something? I mean, and, and I'm pretty sure that these hunters know a bear from a Bigfoot. I agree with that, 100%. Uh, yes. um, yeah. um, unless they're, uh, you know, a little bit under the uh, the spell of moonshine or, or pot. Maybe uh, yeah, is, yeah, is pot yeah. legal up there? Uh, no, they got medical marijuana. But, See, yeah, that, you know, that would do it. Yeah. That's all you need. Oh, I sneeze so hard, my back hurts, I need my pot card. Correct. <laughs> I don't know, you know, and look, there could be some truth to uh, to the Mothman, to Bigfoot, Bat Squash. Uh, there could be some squash. truth to anything. Wait, 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 wait. That's Bat Squatch, not Squash. Whatever. Squatch. That's what I said. Anyway, there could be some truth to any of this stuff, Paul. But th- the problem, again, is it goes back to the lack of evidence. But, you know, uh, Alan here just uh, showed me a picture which I think might be proof. In fact, I'm going to uh, post this on our Facebook page. If everybody goes over to Skywatchers Radio's Facebook page, uh, it's uh, facebook.com forward slash Skywatchers Radio. You'll be able to see the picture right now sent to me by Alan, my co-host. And I think, Alan, you're right. This is... Definitive I think, I think it's a definitive proof of Bat Squatch. Absolutely. And we like people to call in and comment on that photo. And uh, Angel will be going over that phone number again since I still don't know it by heart. Yeah, it's uh, 786-245-8127. Again, 786-245-8127. Open lines uh, from uh, here to the end of the show tonight. Again, we were listening to the words of Mr. Paul Dale Roberts, who was informing us of this never-heard-before Creature, the bat squash. Squash, not squash. Leave me it's alone, not, man. I'm Cuban. It's not crushing you. It's <laughs> not crushing you. Okay. It, 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 it. I'm like, dude, come on, really? Are you gonna? Are you gonna start with me, man? Am I like data from the Goonies now? Is that, what, what is this? Like... Is this like lost in translation for you? It's, a it's bit. Like, is this the Latino? I'm still trying to. Out? I'm still trying to rat, look, man. Don't don't make me say uh, really stereotypical things here uh, about Latinos. <laughs> But you know, okay, you know, okay. Uh, but th- this is know, an amazing this- picture, Alan. I will say this uh, this much. I, I mean, I have never uh, heard of this uh, thing before, but after seeing this picture, I, I, I am definitely intrigued now. Go ahead, well, go ahead you know, Paul. You know, one thing is, you know, there's so many stories, you know, of cryptids and everything else, and there's really hard to get any kind of evidence. And, you know, there's sometimes there's the footprints, um, I haven't heard about any really good hair samples that, that show that the DNA is something else. But, okay, what is really intriguing and shows some kind of proof that there is life out there, 
besides here on Earth, is the case of High Brazil. Oh, wait a minute. That's the island that's supposed to be off, off of Ireland, isn't it? Exactly. And wow, this is I funny that I know that, this. I was actually... I was actually watching something on on uh, my downloads about that today. I'm surprised you actually know something, too, on the show. That's good stuff. Go ahead, Paul. <laughs> okay. When I was flying over Ireland, believe me, I was looking out the, 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 the plane window looking for uh-huh. High Brazil. But, um, but High Brazil, what really gets to me, and it's still it's so intriguing, is with the Rindlesham uh, incident. And the guy who supposedly touched one of the UFOs, one of the MPs, touched the UFO, and he got all these uh, uh, computer codes in his head. It was made up of ones and zeros. And he wrote it down on a little notebook, and for 10 years he never even talked about it because he, he would think that people thought he was just crazy. And this computer expert took those codes and and it actually came out to words to the effect of that it was an exploratory group uh, looking for the advancement of mankind. And it had the exact coordinates to high Brazil. It had the exact coordinates to Sedonia in Arizona. And no, no kidding. Yeah. So it's like... With something like that, I mean, if you took it to a court of law, that's pretty doggone good evidence. That well, it's so, would, yeah, but, but well, it's yes, still well, not definitive on, on. proof, I, I, though. I'm sorry. I, I got to interrupt on this one here. Go ahead. Not, not calling anybody out on that in any way, shape, or form. Oh, see, so you're going to keep messing with me all night. Go ahead. But, <laughs> but. Am I getting called out again? <laughs> I think it, I think it's beef with with me though. Go ahead. Right, let me get let me get on the airplane, okay? And I'll be right there. <laughs> and, uh, the, the whole thing with High Brazil, and I find it truly fascinating. I really do. The, uh, you know, the, the theory of High, uh, High Brazil existing and where it is. The problem is, is that there were no coordinates, from my understanding, except for on navigational maps from the 1600s and 1700s, and that's it. And there they just had approximations. So I would like to understand how can someone from Rendlesham give exact coordinates, and if it's in ones and zeros, they translated it from binary to English, or how how do you know to go from ones and zeros to English and not to Aramaic, or ones and zeros to uh, Spanish, or not trying to rag on you here, Angel, uh, or ones and zeros to some other mm-hmm. language. How do they know the translation? Who, who made the decision to translate it that way? The same oh, people that well, did it in Star yeah, Trek and Star yeah. Wars. They all speak English. Yeah. Well, exactly. okay, if I was a huh? gray and I was looking at a military installation in England, I would definitely, definitely have it translated into English. Well, if they were stuck because of a time capsule issue and you know they're out of time they could have been talking greek or or rowanish or wowdish you know or or whatnot you know you know time is all relative isn't it if time is linear yeah yeah um but Uh, i'm pretty sure they knew exactly what time period that is uh because they were looking at a military installation that had nuclear capability so um and the, i i believe that's what their whole purpose was 
That was during okay. the time of the Cold War. All right, uh, you know, I'll, I'll I'll go with you on this one. I'm just like, uh, you know, I found the the High Brazil being where the Irish, you know, gods and you know came down to earth, and yeah, I find that all fascinating. I truly do. Um, no joke, no lie. I'm just, you know, I'm I'm trying to understand how a guy who touched a ship in Rendlesham has the exact coordinates and. If he had the exact coordinates, why has there been no expedition to go there? Um, right. And, you, and yeah. you're talking about in the 80s, question. too. You're talking about the early 80s. Where, where UFOs were at a high point. Popular. But UFO, ufology was at a high point in the 80s, especially yeah, after I mean, what Reagan said. But how many people in the early 80s knew about binary codes. I, I mean, I didn't know. Half the geeky it. programmers that were programming the IBM AS400s and the TRS-80s and the Commodore 64s, they all were programmed in binary. But, you know, when they, do the in, when they do the interviews with, with this guy, he doesn't seem like he's compu- computer literate. I mean, he just doesn't come off that well. way. I'm not saying so. He's not the one who translated it. Who translated it into the from ones and zeros into figuring out? Aha! There's Sidonia uh, right on the map on page fifty-three. That's zero over there. That's Sidonia, and on page twelve over here, that's uh, you know that's High Brazil right there. Right. But the point the is, thing is, is that I I would imagine I would imagine that other computer programmers and that are able to re- read computer programs uh, checked it out also and well see they, they, that's, that's, a, that's actually a said. good question has uh, there been any other reports of any other programmers who have validated uh, his report mm-hmm. has there been any I haven't heard him any but I mean uh, I would mind you I'm not trying to pick on you I'm really not yeah I'm not trying to pick on you I'm just trying to under me I'm a number cruncher myself I want, I want to understand the numbers that helped us get to the logical conclusion that we are at right now. Mm-hmm. That's all I want. Mm-hmm. I'm not picking on you. I'm not trying to beat you up on this. I'm just trying to validate the information and how is that information validated. Yeah. Um, well, okay. He's going to hate me by the end have, of the show. Pretty much, yeah. Know. Yeah, he is. But, yeah. Okay, but Stan <laughs> Freeman, I mean, he's, a, he's there, okay, and he's claiming that, you know, the binary code for High Brazil and everything else is correct, blah, blah, blah. Really? So okay, I, okay. That lends some credibility there. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, it, I mean, they've done, what now, four documentaries on it, and they have all these credible ufologists who are all backing up what this computer programmer claims. Well... Hold hold on, let yeah. me cut you off right there. When we say credible ufologist, uh, let's name some of these guys. What are we talking about here? Bill Burns. Bill Burns. Okay. Uh, yeah. He's credible. Um, Stan, yeah, Stanton Freeman. Okay, um, credible. All right. Okay, and uh, Nick Redfern. He's a good guy. I like Nick. Okay. He's, he's pretty credible, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, they're they're all backing up the computer programmer, so well, I would imagine that they would have it checked out. I'm going to have to talk to Bill about this because, you know, I, I produced uh, feature theater for uh, Bill and Nancy Burns. So I'm going to have a talk I've with Bill actually later. Been, I've him. actually been published eight times in Bill Burns' UFO magazine. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, yeah, you're gonna I, love what they're, you're gonna I'm, love I'm, what they're gonna do with the with the uh, magazine. Uh, something new. Yeah, Bill Burns. In fact, Bill Burns and his wife used to email me all the time, and uh, his wife is still on my Facebook. And uh, yeah, he used to he's, 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 he's all a the secret. time until he went big time on me. Paul, here's a secret. His wife huh? is listening in, in right now. Oh, no. <laughs> She's listening to this phone call right now. So, Nancy, if you do want to call in and have a nice little conversation, you are more than welcome to at this point in time. <laughs> so you uh, and Nancy go I, way back. I, yeah? Nancy is a sweetheart. She's a sweetheart. Yeah, she is. Yeah. And she's listening and in Burns, right now I, laughing. Yeah, Bill Burns, <laughs> I love him to death, so he's a good guy. So. Well, you're going to love what they got uh, in store with uh, UFO Magazine uh, and what's uh, what it's going to become anyway. But, yeah, Nancy, if you want to call in, oh, yeah. call, uh, go ahead. Uh, anyway, uh, so anything other than uh, this bat squash? Thank you for pronouncing it right. Yes, finally. Okay. <laughs> that we should uh, talk about tonight. <laughs> well, t- tell, oh, us okay. about, Wait, tell us about the excursion you wanna, you're did doing. You want, did you want to talk to Monique about her abduction? I mean, yeah. not her abduction, but her missing time. Yeah, we 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 touched on that uh, last time. We touched yeah, on Monique last time, and we'd like to touch Monique again. Let's be investigators and actually talk to the witness. Yeah, let's do, do that. that? Okay, let's let's touch do Monique it. again. Okay, let's, let's do, do it. it. Okay, let's get her on the line. Okay. Okay, hold on. Alan, we're going to touch on Monique again. Hey. Okay, hey, sounds good. Ask her, listen, listen. Okay, ask her about Chupacabra, too. That's definitely what I was thinking. How much time do we have to work with now? Is the okay. About 10 minutes. Good. Okay. We well, yeah, before we go on break. Okay. okay. Got 10 minutes to touch. All right. Okay, here's Monique. Okay. And she has Hi, a cold, Monique. So. Okay, hold on. Oh, boy. Hi. Hey, Hi. Becca, how are you doing? How are you doing, sweetie? How's it going? I'm a little stuffed up. The train I hear. Of- <laughs> yeah. I could tell. Not that bad. Not that bad. So poor me. So what's going on? Well, Paul said you wanted to talk about your abduction. I know we, when we had you two on last time, we kind of breezed over it a little bit. Okay. Anything you want to share with us? Well, sure, sure. Um, let me see. It was, oh, my goodness. It would have to be about 1989, 1990, okay. in California. There was um, something called Cruise Night. And it was kind of like the hot August night that became so popular in Las Vegas. And um, coincidentally, the person that started that, his name was Johnny Garcia, who happened okay. to be a keyboardist for Santana. Oh, nice. And he, oh my God, Johnny is an awesome guy. And I worked with him for five years at a university called DQU, which was absolutely wonderful because this is the native. University. What was it called again? D Q U. It's no okay. longer open at this time. Okay. But um, in '74, the natives literally took over an army installation, and um, we we were able to get the first Native American school. It's kind of really interesting. But long story short, going back to the abduction thing, um, my friend Gabriel and I have left Woodland, going towards Sacramento. You have to go over a bypass. This was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and we were kind of forced out due to having um, this cruise night, August night, which is a car show 
basically all these beautiful cars from the 30s on up, the most primo cars, were going up and down this old historical town called Woodland. Okay. I'm with you so far, up and down. Okay. <laughs> okay. Which was kind of interesting because the original persons who had started Woodland, California, um, a lot of downtown was actually structured by the monies that came from the Civil War. And it was not the North that helped out Woodland. <laughs> so that's kind of bizarre. So anyway, as we were cruising over the bridge, as I said, mm-hmm. it was about 3 o'clock, um, we look over to the right, and the water is right there, and rice paddies were underneath it. And we thought at first it was just this really strange reflection for the sun because it was mm. coming to the right. The sun should be forward. We were okay. seeing it to the right of us through the windows as we're crossing a bypass, which is like a bridge. Okay. So as we're staring into this, we notice that it's moving and it's getting closer to us. And this sphere, this light, this force, looks like a giant glowing ball. It just looks, you know, like is this a hologram of this, you know, whatever. It did not seem like it was really what we were seeing. And we were like, whoa, wait a moment, you know, type of thing. At that time, we looked around, and it's now 7 o'clock at night, and we had only moved like 10 feet. Okay. That's... Okay. Uh, I'm doing okay. the math here. Yeah, so where does the time, time go? And so my friend Gabriel and me, this happened like nearly, what, 20 years ago or so? And he decided to go back to school, and he happened okay. to be majoring in psychology and going back for his bachelor's. He said that four other persons that he had known had had this same experience and that I'm not crazy and I did not um, cause him to have hysteria. Now, have you guys, you or he had uh, hypnosis and try to see what happened? Well, it was to the point where he has been in so much self-denial. He's a realist, okay? You have to prove it to him with science and fact, everything. It's uh, the fact that he finally admitted to even having the experience just three days ago was just like, wow, because after almost 20 years, he almost convinced me it did not happen. I do not know what happened in between. No, I have not had a hypnotist. However, mm-hmm. the whole experience makes so much sense, and the fact that he is finally sure. giving credence to the experience. Mm. Um, it's really kind of making me think about a lot of, we had dual dreams, and if I'm at a distance, um, I broke down in L.A., California. Woodland, California is closer to the capital of Sacramento, which is mm, usually about an eight- to nine-hour drive between the two. My friend Gabriel got there within five hours to make sure that I was okay just because we have this kooky link. We do not spend a lot of time together. You know, we can go for a couple of years without even talking, and it's totally cool because we're very, very close friends, even though we don't have to talk all the time. However, every time I get into some kind of odd predicament, Mm -hmm. he's the first person that calls me or his mother. And okay. it's, it's just, you know, we have a, a strange psychic link. But so you, yes, so you're, uh, you're saying that you're good friends? We are beyond good friends without having to have um, 
we don't have to talk to each other, see each other, or even know what one another's lives are about. But the connection that was built after that experience is like he's always there in my head or I'm always in his head without having to pick up the phone. Hmm. Very odd. And how, how, how long again was the, uh, the missing time? How long was that again? Well, from three to seven, I would say that would be at least four hours. That is an amazing amount of missing time. Right. And to only, when you're starting across a bridge and mm-hmm. it's three o'clock, and you feel like the sun is to the right of you, but no, it's in fact, you know, in front of you. And then all of a sudden, you know, your day turns into night, and you're having the last conversation when it was day, when you looked at the time, because you had to get back to Woodland. We were just picking up some friends. You know, what the heck happened? And so we both looked at each other, and it was almost like if you've ever hit black ice, and suddenly you're spinning in circles, and time just kind of stops, for a moment, and nope. for whatever experience. reason, no. you don't have. have no fear. <laughs> no. Okay, you avoid some kind of a collision. You know mm-hmm. the experience happened. You're not quite sure why that experience happened. You don't want to give it any more thought because it was just too real, too weird. Thank God you're here, but it's a moment of time that almost freezes. Well, that's what felt like um, after four hours. The I did not see the sun go down. I did not, you know, even... The, the sun was just thing. up, and then it was just down. You didn't see it yes. happen. Yes. It, it was the most bizarre thing I've ever experienced. And for two of us to black out, that's, that, that's not possible for the vehicle, the machine to be in the same place. Is it, po- sleep. Is, is it possible that maybe you... Um, Hmm. Now, were you, I mean, were you two no, together at a party before? Chewed, what were you doing before we you were in together? We got chewed out by our friends for not picking them up on time. Okay, but Everybody what were you doing before? Okay, go ahead. What were you doing before you got to that point? We were at cruise. We were okay. doing, um, Main Street was filled with tons and tons of old cars that right. go about 15 miles an hour, Okay. Okay. It took us a very long time to maneuver past, you know, certain streets because everything was a detour. We were able to get onto the bridge. We had to pick up friends in Sacramento that were just directly over the bridge. So we at no point you guys didn't stop for you didn't stop for drinks or anything somewhere. Maybe somebody There's slipped or something. N- no, 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 no. Nothing like that could have happened. Uh, okay. We're talking about. Um, I used to MC and do a lot of things with entertainment, okay. cars, music, and musicians, and persons who had counted on me. I was set on deadline. There was gotcha. no in between. Gotcha. So I was supposed to be somewhere, and I was dressed up from head to toe. You're ready you know, to rock. Uh, yes, and you know, drinks or nothing else was more important to me than taking care of what I need to take care well, of. Well, the, the reason I ask is in the line of business you're in, it could possibly happen if somebody maybe slipped you to something. I don't know. It's an interesting story, though, Alan. Then a car, uh, you know, then a car four hours. accident would have happened. Yeah, that's, know, that's, there, there you go, there, four there hours. Different. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's definitely a mystery, and I think I may do the hypnosis thing that you had spoke about earlier. You definitely should. You and your friend should definitely seek hypnosis and see if there's anything more there. What do you think, Alan? 
I think that regression therapy might be uh, a right thing to do at this point. I yep. think there should be audio and video recordings of it so we can see what the story is, and uh, yeah. hopefully it's going to be something good. I'd love to actually do a follow-up uh, on that, if possible. Uh, we are out of time for this segment, though. I do have to get, let you guys go. We have Jason Martell waiting uh, for the next uh, hour, so stick around, guys. We're going to be back here on Skywatchers Radio. Monique, it's, like always, a lot of fun having you on. And Paul Dale Roberts, same thing, brother. We'll, we'll talk to you soon, and we'll have you back on the show very, very soon, and we'll continue this very interesting conversation. Alan, once again, you know, Thank four you, hours, is, Thank four you, hours is a long You're time. Welcome. Yeah, I, I'm trying to do the math on that. That's 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 a good amount of uh, missing time amount there. Time. Yeah. yeah, guys, we'll be back in a few minutes on the other side with Jason Martell right here on Skywatchers Radio. Stick around, Dark Matter Radio Network, we'll and right SN Radio. We'll be right back. <laughs> in the forest can you see this but nothing beats the moment you see that cool that's your child's eyes opening up to a world of possibilities there are some moments only the forest can inspire find yours at discovertheforest.org learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go and you might just see this visit discovertheforest.org Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Do your kids share a bedroom with a sibling? Is dorm room privacy a problem? Introducing Privacy Pop, a new way to create a private and comforting space on your bed. Privacy Pop is a bed tent that fits over twin, twin extra long, full, and queen beds. Privacy Pop is your ticket to seclusion in crowded sleeping quarters. Privacy Pop is the perfect holiday gift for the youngster who likes building forts and cramped college dorm rooms. Log on to privacypop.com and see how this unique sleeping system easily pops out from a small carrying case. Easy to store and simple to set up. Privacypop.com. That's privacypop.com. The perfect holiday gift for your grandchildren or your own kids who want a fun bed fort. Choose their favorite color. See this unique sleeping system now. Act now for a limited time offer. Use promo code RADIO in the checkout cart for free shipping. Log on to privacypop.com. Use promo code RADIO for free shipping. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph paragraph is because the endings of books should rock you i am a book person and if you're a book person to read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental a public service announcement brought to you by reading is fundamental library of congress and the ad council green light hey girl school zone i'm getting hungry car changing lanes you want to meet me for pizza stop sign intersection clear yeah street pizza sounds good ball in street girl in street <gasps> It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text, stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. 
Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's SupermanHomePage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. SupermanHomePage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com Here's a riddle for you. What do the California Gold Rush of the 1850s, secret societies, coded messages, mysterious 19th century flying machines, and an early 20th century outside artist named Charles A.A. A. Delshaw all have in common? The Secrets of Delshaw by Dennis Crenshaw and Pete Navarro. Go to www.secretsofdelshaw.com to learn more. Driving has a rhythm all its own. Don't wreck it with a text. Before you get behind the wheel, silence your phone. Or better yet, designate a texter. For more text-free driving tips, visit StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! <gasps> it's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Discount Comic Book Service, where you can save 40 to 75% off on new comics, collected editions, graphic novels, action figures, statues, and other one-of-a-kind items from DC, Marvel, Image, Dark Horse, Boom Studios, Top Cow, Dynamite, and many, many more. Go to www.dcbservice.com for easy ordering and fast delivery. Or you can visit our brick-and-mortar location at 10202-C Coldwater Road in Fort Wayne, Indiana. DCBS, welcome home. You're listening to PSN Radio, the best in talk radio anywhere on the Internet. You're listening to Dark Matter Radio Network. And we are live on the Dark Matter Radio Network and on PSN Radio. This is Skywatchers Radio, and it is the midnight hour. Our next guest is on with us, Mr. Jason Martell. He's a researcher, a lecturer. He specializes in ancient ancient astronauts, Planet X, Sumerian culture, and uh, the advanced technologies that we've been you know, kept from and have been kept hidden from our eyes for many, many years. Jason Martell, is a pleasure to have you back on, and uh, good to talk to you again. It's been a while since we last talked. Thank you for being on the show tonight. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me back on the show. Now, catch us up to uh, what the latest is uh, that you're working on. I know that uh, you're always uh, a busy man, so give the audience a little bit of, of an update of what you're working on right now. 
Yeah, sure. Well, you know, I've <clears throat> been launching a, a new product called Ancient School, okay. which I'll kind of talk about uh, a little bit more towards the end of our interview because I have a free gift uh, for for your audience tonight, just for just for your radio listeners. So, cool. kind of, kind of, yeah, kind of excited about that. Uh, and, and really, we've been keeping busy with uh, lots of filming for the show Ancient Aliens. It's mm-hmm. now in its sixth season, and there's you know more episodes on the way. So it's a it's it's a great honor and pleasure to be a part of that team. Now, speaking of Ancient Aliens, uh, they've covered a lot of topics. What are some of the topics that are going to be covered now in the, the next season? Uh, well, you know, the question I get all the time uh, about the show is is really two two main questions. One is, what's the next episode that that they're going to be working on, and and then the second question would usually be, what's the biggest piece of evidence to prove ancient aliens, or what's the right you know, the best <laughs> piece, right? Um, I, thought the, I thought the I thought the best out. question. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I was going to no, say, no, go say I thought the best question would be is how does what's his name get his hair like that? Ah. Yes. Well, I'll answer that for for number three. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but, I want to know what he's using. Yeah, no. Well, the next episode coming out was probably, you know, uh, a hard question to answer just because they have a whole slew that they're working on each season. I know that there's several in the, in the queue. And uh, I think the next one coming out has to do with star children. Mm. So that should be rather interesting. Um, as far as the uh, best piece of evidence, I'll come back to that one. I'm going to rearrange it. Giorgio's hair. Uh, <laughs> I love Giorgio. He's a great, great friend of mine, and uh, I give him a lot of credit for carrying the ancient alien torch. Do you and guys actually get to see each other frequently, or is it all just, yeah. you know, they fly and do interviews all in one bulk, or, you know? I no, no, we're, we're both located, Giorgio and I are both located in Southern California, so... Oh. If you check our Facebook or Instagram pages, you see that we, we on on occasion have the have the chance to do things off camera together with our fiance. Now, when he's off camera, wife. when he's off camera, is the hair like that at all times, or does he have like no. a ponytail, or and he you just know, does that so, for like the show? Well, that's what I was going to say. So the, the hair question, from what I understand, <clears throat> when we first started filming in like season one, after like the uh, season two, and there was like a third episode. And he was just really late one day or was running, you know, behind. And they forced him. <clears throat> They're like, Georgia, let's go. we got to get you on camera. Uh, and he was like, fine, fine. You know, <laughs> and he wasn't ready. And so supposedly <laughs> he shot. And his hair was just, you know, kind of messed up. And, and sure enough, through people's shock and awe, it actually stuck. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, it held. And it seemed to be... Uh, uh, that his hair went viral, so I'm, um, you know, good, good for him. <laughs> Great, his hair went viral. So from a mistake to it went viral, and now it's like his look. It's his thing, and and you know what? He wears it well, man. You know, he's he's great. Now. That's he really does, and, and real quick, don't don't get oh, us yeah, uh, yeah. like we're like we're trying to diss him or anything because we have no hair. That's the problem here. We're both envious <laughs> of Mister no, Tukulas because no. he has hair. We don't. We're bald, man. That sucks for us. So good. Hey, well, you know, you you work you work it with what you have. That is true. Correct. Uh, but so go go ahead. One more. There. 
No, I was going to say, but uh, I know that you know the stuff that you usually cover on there uh, has a lot to do with the ancient astronauts, which, which you know is something we were talking about earlier. And I wanted to actually get your opinion on this before we go any further. Uh, something we we talked about uh, in the first hour of the show, where I made the the the, the assumption or maybe the theory live on air that uh, with the lifespan that this planet has had for like four something billion years that we know of, maybe five billion, maybe a little bit more, a little bit less, uh, some of the ancient astronaut stuff, uh, it could be us or or an ancestor of of human beings that left the planet and now they they came back and it's not so much some alien from like another galaxy out there uh this all could be really just uh from earth all this uh all this activity couldn't that be it could be and you know i i while i love the show ancient aliens i don't personally subscribe to the idea that all the monuments were built by aliens and most of the researchers don't right it's a matter of their intervention and, and to what degree. And as we'll talk about tonight, I, I personally believe that there is a larger cycle of time that most of the ancient cultures were aware of, and they built these monuments as markers to denote where they were in this cycle that lasts hmm. 24,000 years. So, so we're going yeah, back to the long count? Mm, no, the long count is probably a good example of a knowledge base around this larger cycle of time, but they're just one reference. And really, so, you know, a lot of the new research that's coming out kind of supports um, a new model for our solar system as being binary, having two suns. So the latest research that I've been looking into... I've heard about that, yeah. Yeah, there's a a business partner of mine named Walter Cruttenden. He runs a conference that happens every year called CPAC, uh, but he's also the founder of something called the Binary Research Institute. And, you know, I've got to give Walter uh, props for the research they've done because it does prove, you know, through hard science that what we currently call the precession of the equinox is to explain why we go through these new views of a constellation every 2,000 years, essentially the breakdown of the heavens into 12 zodiacal signs. That's the procession of the equinox. That's essentially a grand celestial clock. Right now we're in the age of Pisces. Right. In about 150 years we'll be in the age of Aquarius. People don't understand some of the subtle nuances about, for instance, the age of Pisces. You see that little symbol of a fish on the back of many people's car. It's a little fish that has either a cross or it says Jesus in it. Right. Well, you know, as, as... Little do they know what that really means, right? Little do these people know. (laughs) The the symbol of a fish is actually predating the symbol of of Jesus and the fish. It's it's, it's the astronomical symbol for the constellation of Pisces, which has been used, as we'll talk about tonight, you know, for thousands and thousands of years. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, uh, you know, I think one of the questions I was going to answer when we first started off there was, what are some of the what's the biggest piece of evidence or the best uh, you know ancient alien technology that that we see? And really, for me, guys, it's the term vitrification. Uh, I've been talking about this a little bit more recently because I huh. think it is an important factoid. Um, essentially, when we look at any of these megalithic sites where they have these blocks fitted together in such a way that there's no use of mortar, and we see it at all over South America, Teotihuacan and Puma Punku, Machu Picchu, basically basically a lot of those sites around the ancient Lake Titicaca. 
and it seems like they had this building style that was one, they were using stones that were so large that fit into that global pattern of megaliths. Right. But some of these sites, again, Machu Picchu and Teotihuacan, Pumapunku, they've also found a way to fit the stones together. And some of them, again, are huge megalithic stones. And they fit together without any mortar. You can't even slide a piece of paper in between the stones. And it turns out that if you look at all of the, the cut points where the rocks come together, what we see is called evidence of vitrification, which means high heat has been applied to the stone, to the point where the stones were almost in a molten-like state, had become almost like lava. And then it's real easy to mold them and cut out intricate uh, diagrams and, and shapes, and then they just re-harden back into stone. But we right. still have no idea how ancient man was able to heat ancient stone to a lava-like state. So were well, they using I, some type of a massive kiln or something? Well, I know stone masonry uh, and engineering goes back to the times of uh, Machu, uh, Machu Picchu and even uh, before that. Uh, they did have stone masonry back then, didn't they? Well, they sure did, but yeah. we just don't understand how they were able to you know, melt the hardest stones like granite and deerite to a molten-like state. That That would require, like, you know, some serious ability to, to, to do that, so. Well, I wouldn't put it past man to figure that out, though. I mean, there's a lot of technologies that we had back then that are completely lost to us now, that we, we have no idea how they did it. Uh, it doesn't always mean it was aliens, though. No, it doesn't. But where we start to look for other pieces of evidence that, again, can point the needle towards that ancient astronaut theory is, right. you know, from a high level... Excuse me. We can just simply note that most ancient cultures, through their mythological tales, which we would describe now, most ancient cultures speak of a time when beings came down from the skies and departed great wisdom and knowledge to human beings. Hmm. Now, we can we can look at even more recent scenarios rather than like way ancient biblical times. More recent scenarios seem to play out the same scenario that's taken place where when we see these advanced technologies or beings utilizing advanced technologies, whether they're from this planet or another dimension or a lost civilization, um, we, what we've seen played over and over is a, is a scenario called a cargo cult. Um, during World War I, when soldiers first started, American soldiers first started flying over remote areas like you know, Africa and you know, Australia, we, we landed and set up camps near these aboriginal tribes, and we hop out of a prop plane and light up a cigarette, walk over to an aboriginal and hold up a voice recorder next to him, record his voice and play it back. And they look at us and go, my gosh, these, these must be gods. They, they just came out of some large living creature that flew in the sky, and they have the right. power of fire and can record a voice. So, you know, what happens is the, 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 shoulder, the soldiers receive drop shipments, planes, you know, fly over and just drop uh, supplies to the camp, sometimes these shipments would actually land in the middle of the tribe rather than the soldier camp. Right. The tribe cracks it open and there's, you know, canned goods and weapons and supplies, and they're like, oh, this is from the gods. And eventually the soldiers pack up their camp and leave. So what happens is an interesting phenomenon. The, the aboriginals start to scrape away runways they build straw models very accurately depicting of what they saw of the plane. And then they sit there for hours looking up at the sky, hoping to lure back 
these amazing people that brought gifts and dropped stuff to them. Well, this is exactly what we see around the world at many of these ancient sites, like the Nazca Lines in Peru, or oh, yeah. many of these megalithic yeah. sites around the world. Oh, I'm on, Jason, I'm 100% with you on those. In fact, I've uh, said on this show and, and many times in the past that I believe a lot of our mythology on this planet, for example, uh, certain things like demons, chupacabras, leprechauns, you know, these kind of mythologies that we've have built in for over the last uh, couple hundred years or more, uh, really are just misidentification of some kind of encounter with a possible alien. Okay, uh, tell so me what Batsquatch is then. I have no answer for that. Not yet, anyway. I could give you an answer. You, have you, have you heard of Batsquatch? Sure. Well, I don't know what the answer to it is, but I, I at least have a line of thinking that is logical. You know, most of the interactions when, when we have a, a Bigfoot sighting, it takes, mm-hmm. it takes place right on the edge <clears throat> excuse me, of their environment and ours, meaning most of these Sasquatch, Yeti, or, you know, Snow Mountain versions, uh, they, they all live in the deep recesses of either the jungle or where people just aren't, you know, habitating. Um, they never come into the deep areas of our cities. We never really go into the deep areas of the jungles. We only have the interaction on our edges. If you fly over anywhere in North America, it's pretty much rural. There's plenty of room for things to be running around that we might not be fully aware of. But it's I agree interesting with that, that yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, it's interesting that these ancient Sumerian texts, which I spent a lot of time researching, are very specific in explaining how there was a Neanderthal man naturally evolving here, and that they chose to take this being and put their genetic marker on it, creating us in their image and after their likeness, just like the Bible says. But what we have right there is a genetic inter- intervention, which could possibly explain a line of thinking for why there's a missing link in the Darwinian evolution. But let's not forget that Neanderthal man that was here naturally and possibly could have kept evolving into today's Sasquatch. That's true. But my question is, though, Jason, why hasn't somebody killed a Bigfoot yet and brought it out as evidence? Because every time we, we hear somebody killing a Bigfoot or we hear of any sort of Bigfoot evidence, it turns out to be a hoax, and it's a real big letdown. Uh, why haven't we had any credible evidence? I don't look, I, I get what you're saying. They, they live in areas where we just don't go there very often. But there's a lot of people that take these uh, these trips out in the woods to try to see Bigfoot, and they go out and they hunt for Bigfoot. Why Why no evidence still? I mean, over 50 years now, it's still no evidence, no credible, hard, credible evidence that Bigfoot is real. I know. Well, there's still the Loch Ness Monster and these ancient you know, dinosaur fish and various things that are seldomly seen or you see a picture of it and then you arrive and they're like, oh, the locals ate it, sorry. <laughs> There's evidence of these things all around the world, but Dropped actually it off at the getting sushi them house. on tape... <laughs> Yeah, not that easy. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be interesting if, uh, say, the only time that people do get to see Bigfoot is because that's uh, when he land? Not he, because there's more than one, obviously, but when some of them land on a scout ship or something uh, from whatever planet they're from, and they're just here visiting, and that's how remotely you see them, and they're not actually indigenous to this planet. I think that might make a little bit more sense, and that's why we can't just find one and shoot it. You know what I mean? Because they're not really from here. Is, well, you know, I, I, I'd be a lot happier meeting Chewbacca rather than what we see in, like, Harry and the Hendersons. So, you want sure. me to get him on the phone? <laughs> he, he actually he could do that, actually. But, but who's not to say that Chewbacca wasn't inspired by Bigfoot? Uh, George Lucas I, was inspired by all kinds of different things when he would make Why that. not? 
movie. Yeah. So. I don't know how much alcohol was involved when he dreamt up the movie, but he did a good job and he's created a whole new a new religion, you know. There's Jediism now as a religion, so well, a lot of the things that yeah. he, you know, he brings up in, in the movies are interesting from, uh, again, a higher level of thought, like midichlorians and the Force, uh, or you know, a galactic federation of intelligent races that have you know, come together to you know, work peacefully. You know, I, I, I often think it's interesting that you know, people ask, well, why aren't the aliens visiting us now, or... Aren't they, why aren't they openly visiting us like it seems the ancient cultures went to great lengths to not they didn't just write it down on some papyrus. I mean, they spent years, you know, uh, putting this on wall reliefs and, and, and stone uh, tablets and such. Um, I think it's very possible that, you know, the reason why we're not seeing outright visitations is possibly because Earth is on quarantine. You know, if there is this galactic federation yeah. planet... I could see that. I could see the space TSA saying you can't clear through customs and come to this planet. I could mm-hmm. honestly, honestly see it. You know, we've always had stories about, uh, yeah, we went to the moon, but we were told purposely not to come back. It would make perfect sense because, yeah. Alan, look how aggressive we are on this planet. Uh, you know, we we can't even stop fighting over whose God is better than whose. You know what I mean? So if you're well, an alien maybe race, one of them why would come you? Down, make a statement saying, I'm not the one. Or I am the one that, you know, that's the best. But yet he's not done that. Shame on him. But, or hold, them. but hold on. According to Jason, you know, from what, we're, from what I've understood, there are so many different possible gods if you go with the Sumerian text. Well, now that we're not talking about God with a capital G. We're talking about no, smaller gods. No, we're talking gods. about mis- misrepresented gods. Correct. Like, ancient man didn't understand... Here's another analogy. Right. If you look at today's Iron Man or the Incredible Hulk, you know, Iron Man as an example is not a god. He's just right. a dude with technology. However, when he becomes Iron Man, now he has godlike powers. So I think it's very possible ancient man witnessed beings that harnessed technology to the point they were not able to discern technology from spiritual or supernatural. Right, no, that makes perfect sense. I agree with that, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm 100% okay. with you. In fact, that goes with my statement earlier that uh, some people just misunderstood what gods and demons or whatever were, and they were just aliens with technology. Yeah, but if we go with that route, how many people that are you know, significant Bible thumpers that claim miraculous healings and things like that, how do we, how do we put that into the equation? Are we saying uh, it's all psychosomatic? Is it all driven by their own mind? Well, now we're getting into areas that kind of deviate from uh, my specialty and, and knowledge. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, no, and no, no what I'm saying, Jason, comment, is, is but, I'm saying if you're right and what we perceived as God or God's plural mm-hmm. are just um, beings with technology that we don't comprehend or understand, how do we factor in religious people Claiming these miracles of healing and whatnot. Well, here, here, here's How the way you fact. I could answer actually. Actually, yeah, I could answer up to that point real quick. Okay. Uh, a lot of it is delusional. A lot of it is uh, mythological stories misinterpreted throughout history. Okay. Uh, a lot of it is made up because let's face it. A lot of the Bible is a nice work of fiction. Yeah, I said it. 
It is. It's true. It's a nice work of fiction made up by men. See, there was no God or gods that came from the sky and said, we have a book. This is the Old Testament. And soon we're going to release a second version, the New Testament. That never happened. So since that never happened, and we know that this was written by men, uh, who knows how much of it is actual based on any fact. Well, I, I understand where you're going with that, but then I'm going to throw this question at you and Jason at the same time. Um, you've heard of the Bible Code, correct? Oh, yeah. Okay. Why does the Bible Code seem to work no problems with the Old Testament, but it is invalid when you're dealing with the New Testament? Aha. Uh-huh. That's something with King James, right? No, no, no. no. It's, I'm just saying that the Bible Code, being able to... You know, punching it into a computer and letting the Old Testament get run through seems to be able to foretell the past and the future. But when you try and use the New Testament using the Bible called a- algorithm, know, better writers back then? I don't know. What do you I, think? I, Jason? I don't know. I'm just wondering if there was something similar to that in any of the Sumerian texts. That's a good question, actually, Jason. Uh, well, you know, that's that's obviously where I could speak a little bit more clear is some of the Sumerian information. And I don't know of any actual Bible code or hidden information, but what's really interesting about the Sumerian texts is that, you know, this is the first civilization that we have record of on Earth coming out of around 3800 B.C. We are finding evidences of cultures going much further than that, but not a complete civilization. So Sumer is pretty much right out of the Stone Age, the first civilization we have. And they left us all of these amazing documents and pictograms, all recorded in stone. Most of the information is just their daily lives of recording transactions and education and systems and laws and stuff like that. But there's also a a very large amount of information where they discuss living amongst their living gods. It's almost like the Bible's time when they were talking about there were giants upon the earth. It appears as if the Sumerian culture was actually living amongst they're living gods, and they called these beings Anunnaki, and that term meant those who from heaven come to earth. So, in some of those, excuse me, in some of those tales, there are actually quite a bit of uh, interesting data. Where again, we can only prove it based on our current sciences. That's our current sciences. So things like extraterrestrials, our current science, isn't quite savvy with. But there are Sumerian texts that clearly explain that um, a high priest, uh, uh, you know, a Sumerian high priest would sit with a scribe, someone who could actually read and write cuneiform script, Sumerian writing, and and, and, uh, knew the way to use the scribe. It's kind of like an oversized screwdriver. A high priest would sit with a scribe literally in front of an Anunnaki, and the Anunnaki would explain certain information to the high priest as the scribe would write it down. Now, some of these tablets, as an example, record astronomical movements. And this was all very sacred information. There was, as an example, a priest that knew this stuff could tell you 50 years in advance on what specific day there would be a solar or lunar eclipse. So they had a lot of information that we can prove with our current understandings of science and astronomy. But... They also talked about a whole other realm, which we still need to catch up on, which is they explained that their gods, these Anunnaki, come from another planet within our own solar system that they called Nibiru, or the 12th planet. So my last little point there, guys, is, you know, 
The Sumerians say the Anunnaki came from the 12th planet. Well, all around the world, this knowledge of these, myth, of these myths are similar in the sense that, okay, the, Sumerians got, the Sumerian gods, the Anunnaki, come from the 12th planet. Well, we also have the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 disciples of Jesus, the 12 Greek Olympians, 12 hours in a day, 12 inches in a foot, 12 in a dozen, the 12 constellations of the zodiacal breakdown of the heavens. All of this information, all of this information originally started out of Sumer and has spread to the various other cultures. So, yeah, it is very interesting that it all is somewhat connected from the stories we hear around the world. Now, here's a question. If I can ask a question. Um, Does the location, let me phrase this right. Does Atlantis timeline happen before or after Sumer? Oh, way, way before Sumer. Okay, way before Sumer, Atlantis mm. existed. Does Sumer reference Atlantis? Do they we have don't even know what Atlantis is or, or if it existed. And, and here's, here's how I would kind of answer that. I mean, Atlantis in everyone's current mind is this mythical continent that somehow sunk into the ocean. Right. I think that Atlantis, because we don't really know, but I do believe there was some type of Atlantean culture Let's just call it a lost, advanced civilization. And this is actually okay. one of the latest things that I'm exploring, is simply all of the great ancient cultures we have today, Egyptian, Mayan, Sumerian, Aztec, they all reference this advanced, lost civilization. And we, we're seeing pieces around the world of what the beings from this lost civilization might have looked like. If we go to some of the most ancient sites like Gobekli Tepe in Turkey, what we've just found, it's about 13,000 B.C. It's pretty old, not 3,800 mm. B.C., but 13,000 B.C. That is old, Gobekli yeah. Tepe, yeah, but it's just one area. It's not a complete civilization. Gobekli Tepe displays these long, slender beings. They're humanoid, but they're long, slender beings, and their hands are wrapped at the waist. Now, mm. if we go to the, the island of, of Rapa Nui, you know, Easter Island, the Moai head, uh, the Moai statues in general, what we thought were just heads, are actually long, slender bodies. They're just buried underground. All we see is the heads above ground. They've dug them out now. And they're long, slender beings, again, with their hands wrapped at the waist. We've seen Sumerian figurines depicting the same thing. And in Bada Valley, Indonesia, some of the most ancient sites where we're finding archaeology and civilizations, there are these beings, these slender beings, and their hands wrapped at the waist. I'm thinking that this is a reference to this lost ancient Atlantean culture, if you will. They wouldn't have been on one continent, though, if they were advanced. They would have been global. And that's why we see these monuments all around the world that we don't quite understand why they were built or how they were built. I think they're part of this lost ancient culture that was around thousands and thousands of years ago that we are just starting to piece together. Actually, I'll go a step further, uh, Jason. I think my theory on Atlantis is, and uh, you can follow along here by all the evidence uh, provided to us by NASA over the last couple of decades in their interest on the red planet. I think Atlantis was Mars at one point, and it was a thriving planet with life on it. Uh, Things happened uh, beyond the control of the Martians. They had to leave and ended up on Earth, and that's where you got the hybridization, and boom, you have your... Ancient aliens. Well, 
<clears throat> you know, I mean, that's a, again a high level explanation that hey, why not? I mean, yeah, that's what originally sparked that's what originally sparked my interest into all of these ancient sites on Earth is that in college when when I was 39 and when I was 21, someone had mentioned that there was a face in pyramids on Mars and. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, there's not. Why would NASA hide <laughs> something like that? And so when I just started to look into it casually, I found out that the principal photographer that controls 90% of the cameras that we've been putting up on our orbiters and our landers comes from Malin Space Science Systems. Correct. And Malin yep. Space Science Systems, which just happened to be located in San Diego where I was going to college. So I contacted feverishly uh, Dr. Mike Malin, and I finally got him on the phone, and and I asked him, just as a layman college student, I said, listen, is there any possibility that the face and pyramids in Cydonia, you know, are these artificial? And he was like, well, no. You know, this is all natural sand and weather-eroded objects. And, and this really raised my eyebrows further uh, because I was able to find at least four or five peer-level review scientists that held Ph.D. credentials in satellite telemetry and had published data about the surface of Mars. One guy specifically, Dr. Mark Carlotto, if you Google mm-hmm. his name, Mark Carlotto, yeah. you know, he, did, he, de- he developed mathematical algorithms called a fractal analysis that if you ran his fractal analysis over satellite telemetry from Russia, you could identify tanks or troops, uh, things that were shrouded by, you know, uh, plants or, or tarps, this could identify them as artificial. When he ran these same fractal uh, patterns over Cydonia, the face and pyramids come out to be over a 98% probability to be artificial. Mm. NASA never released any type of data like that. So right. I, I very quickly, for my own reasons, did research into Mars, and, and that's how I originally started all my research. But I quickly realized, well, wait a minute. You know, I'm looking at a structures on another planet we have things all over the earth here that still need to be answered oh correct yeah i'm with you 100 percent. in fact uh the reason i think you know that i that i would reference mars is just because of the fascination that we have for that planet it's almost like we're drawn to that planet uh it, it just uh it's captured the imagination of this country for a long long time and i think it would be a perfect uh reason but you're absolutely you're a perfect answer for where you know where we came from or who are the ancient astronauts? But you're, you're absolutely right, though, uh, Jason. Uh, it, it is an intriguing uh, uh, thing that on this planet itself, there are so many mysteries and so many things that we still haven't really fully answered or discovered um, all over the planet, too. It's just an incredible world we live in. Now, what, what are your thoughts on the uh, hollow Earth theory and inner Earth possibility of having inner Earth life? Well, you know, I've, I'm actually looking into some of those topics for several episodes of Ancient Aliens. Uh, I know we've covered... Yeah, we've covered underground bases and tunnels. Mm. And You know, I'd answer, I'd answer it from two ways. Um, there is definitely mythological information that speak of a race of, like, ant people <laughs> that uh, somehow possibly inhabited the inner Earth. Now, again, these come from ancient cultures, speaking of these myths and legends. Um, there are also eight... Uh, Indian texts, ancient Vedic Indian texts that speak of the Nagas, these essentially like a reptilian race that live in the inner earth. Right. Um, now, what I found really interesting, though, is some of the more modern evidence in that, you know, if you were to Google 
U.S. Air Force drilling machine, you'll see pictures ah, from back in the 70s yeah. <laughs> of gentlemen standing next to a drill that looks like the size of a train. And from what I understand, they have the ability to, you know, drill tunnels uh, through the hardest substances like granite and such, and as they're drilling through the rock, it spits out a perfect runway behind the drill as it's going. Yeah, it's a nuclear the- boring machine. Uh, it heats the rock up in front of it to such a high degree and then actually presses it and takes that liquid that's now actually pretty much molten glass and right. pushes it to the sides to create smooth-sided and you know flat surface, uh, no jagged edges as it's boring now, through. Now, what you just said there was interesting, too, because that's essentially what vitrification is, is that molten glass look. Right. Yeah. Well, by the way, jumping back to the binary star system thing, is it possible, as um, Jacko was saying, go, we have binary stars, is it possible we have a binary planet, which is Mars? Thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. I'd like to touch on that topic as we have a time remaining here. Uh, yep. Not so much about the binary planet. That That is an interesting thought. But from the binary solar system, this is actually a really interesting concept. Uh, people have heard of the Dark Ages or the Golden Age. What essentially is happening here on Earth is it, it appears that we're going through a large cyclical pattern that is caused by us being in a binary orbit, meaning all of the other solar systems that we've been filming externally from Mars seem to be binary. Most of them are binary, meaning they have at least two suns. Some of them four, six, eight in this intricate dance. Most of the evidence is pointing to we are a binary solar system. Our other sun is probably a, a brown drawer for a, right. a dark yeah. star. It's not a, it's not a very bright sun. Um, but it but still gives off heat. Exactly. Right. Well, you know, yeah. it, for our comic book, uh, for a comic book reference, uh, our comic book nerds out there, think uh, Superman with the uh, the red sun in Krypton. That's kind of like we're talking about here for anybody who's an listening. Excellent reference. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, but you know, it's funny because I remember back uh, a few years ago, uh, there, I saw a, a documentary, Jason, on uh, Zechariah Sitchin uh, speaking to folks at NASA, and they're talking about how NASA believes that yeah, there could definitely be a, a binary star. A twin star to our to our own sun out there, and uh, it could very well be what's tugging at some of the planets, or what's causing some of the the uh, the things that they're seeing uh, as a possibility. Now, a red dwarf sun would actually lend itself to be really hard to detect, obviously because it doesn't emit the same kind of light as a regular sun or a regular star as our star would. Uh, but do you think by now NASA would have found this thing? Now, the thirty six hundred year ellipt- elliptical orbit that this planet Nibiru is on, uh, of course, everybody knew or everybody thought, Jason, that it was going to come by uh, this past year in 2012, but it didn't happen. We're still here. Nobody got destroyed. Nibiru didn't destroy us. Uh, do you think there's still a chance that that actually might be happening, or do you think that it might have come and gone and just it didn't get close enough for us to really even see it, or what do you think happened there? We kind of slid through a couple of different uh, pieces there. Um, just a little bit. As far as the binary orbit, I do believe that our system is probably binary, and I'd love to touch on that more. I do also believe that Nibiru as a planet that would be an extrasolar planet would be independent of the binary effects of our solar system. I think these right. are two different effects. Oh, the okay. 3,600-year orbit is the orbit of Nibiru, which is, you know, again, something that was based on Sumerian evidence that said a completed circle, 360 degrees, they called it a shar, was also right. the number that they gave for Nibiru, just adding another zero, 3,600. Now, 
as far as the orbit of Nibiru, uh, you know, most of the models up to this point, whether it be from NASA or for Zachariah Sitchin, are all based around an orbit that goes around one sun, not two. So <clears throat> this binary model does calculate a lot of new pieces if we were to incorporate, let's say, like Nibiru, and that might explain how it's able to loop back around towards us if it's going around a second sun. I'd like right. to avoid the Nibiru part for just a second and focus back towards the binary because it okay. is a very interesting piece that I'd like to tie in, uh, again, to these monuments around the world, and I think this is why they were built. Um, what I'm seeing, gentlemen, is there is a new model put forth by the Binary Research Institute that explains precession of the equinox. And it's instead of saying there's a little wobble on our Earth that that's, you know, causes us to change the perspective of what we see every 2,000 years just by a slight degree or two, it's a very complicated model that they use explaining the precession of the equinox, and it's like 2,000 variables. There's a new way to explain the precession of the equinox, and it's based on a binary motion, our two suns. So think of it this way. If our sun is orbiting another sun, well, we're kind of spinning around our sun. We're in orbit around our sun. So if our sun is moving through space around another sun, we are as well. Right. And so there is a very interesting thought that says the binary orbit, when the suns are at their closest point in orbit around each other, we seem to be in the golden age here on Earth. When the suns are at their farthest point from each other in this binary orbit, we're in the dark ages. It almost appears as if we're going through a cycle where we go into the golden age and learn a lot of advanced things and probably evolve faster, can build monuments. And at that time, in the golden age or in our enlightened state, I'm sure we are interacting with higher beings, whether it be interdimensional, extraterrestrial, what have you. But then we go back into the dark ages and we eventually forget all this. And we can even see evidence of this pattern in that ancient Sumer and Egypt, 2500 B.C., 3800 B.C., they were using what appears to be lost ancient technology, astronomy and electricity and things that we didn't think they had. But now, as we're coming back out of the dark ages again, we're now relearning a lot of this astronomical and lost information. So here's just a quick analogy. Now stay with me, guys. I know this is heavy stuff, right? This is. These, the, this astronomical cycle that lasts 24,000 years mm -hmm. has an effect on us, meaning, you know, as we go through this large cycle of time, things happen to humanity. There's two smaller cycles to put it into perspective about how an astronomical cycle affects us. Cycle one is we're spinning on our axis. And as the Earth spins on its axis, we go into day and night. Right. When it becomes nighttime, we lose consciousness. That's, that's an effect on us based on an astronomical movement. Cycle two, we're orbiting the sun. And as we orbit the sun, planets, uh, you know, uh, seasons change and animals migrate. Again, these are all physical effects based on an astronomical movement. So cycle three is possibly this binary orbit which all the ancient cultures, including the Mayans, were aware of this larger cycle that seems to have an effect on us. Yeah, but how do, how do you go from uh, an effect of the day and night to we forget all technological advancements and are wiped out, our memories are wiped of any knowledge? Well, 
we're talking about a large cycle of time that is very hard for us to comprehend, and I can give you another idea. I mean, I, I, little, I, can I can understand for nothing to get off, but well, here, I can understand. Here's, an example. Here's, here's a simple example. Sorry to cut you okay. off, but there's an insect called the mayfly. It only lives 24 hours. Right. So if, if, a, if another mayfly came up to it and said, hey, and it was a cloudy day, let's say it's a completely cloudy day, overcast, my mayfly comes up to it and says, hey, you know, I've, I've heard of this thing called sunshine and a breeze, but I just don't see it. So all of the ancient cultures tell us that, yes, there are things that affect us, but in our short lifespan, we still have a lot of comprehending to do. Well, that's what I was getting at. I could see, you know, throughout generations, certain things get lost because of the cultures that come and go. And uh, one day, sadly, America might not be here. You know, we might be another one that disappears in a few hundred years. And, uh, our, you know, eventually some knowledge will be gone, especially since we're all going digital now. Uh, you know, if we, all, if we all go digital in a hundred years and there's a bomb that goes off and everything is offline forever, we're, we're done. There'll be no records. I wonder if they all went well, digital. You know, there's there's also the possibility that, you know, stones and trees and natural, like, crystals and things can store information in ways that we just don't understand. Yet. Ah, that's true. And, yeah. and there's a lot of interesting texts that come out of these ancient Mahabharata and Vedic texts from India that have a lot of knowledge of when we were in this golden age uh, and have recorded times when, you know, these enlightened beings could float and, and use their brain much more powerful than we can now and, and almost explain it as saying we get to the point where we're able to interpret God. Well, we're pretty far off from that now. We're about 8,000 oh, yeah. years before we would re-enter the golden age. But we are on the upswing out of the dark ages. Do you think we're ever going to get to a Type 1 civilization? I know we're Type 0, according to uh, Michio Kaku. Uh, do you think we'll ever make it to the Type 1 civilization? You know, I, I sure hope so, but that's a great analogy to look at. You know, there's these levels of civilizations, and we're obviously at the very bottom of that chain currently. Which would be why the aliens don't want to have us interfering and they have us quarantined out here. What do you think? <laughs> These guys are type zero. They don't belong in space. Yeah. But, you know, going back, logical. Yeah, going back to what I was asking you earlier, though, before uh, with uh, Nibiru, uh, obviously 2012 didn't happen. Uh, do you think that there's, there's still a chance that we actually might get Nibiru at some time in the near future? Because I don't think the, the calculations or the math were was too accurate anyway, and I, I never really bought the whole 2012 mythology to begin with. Um, so, you know, people just tried to connect the two, I think, and that's what happened with uh, with that. But uh, do you think there's still a chance in the, maybe the next 10, 20 years that we might actually see a Planet X uh, arrive at the scene and look up at the sky, I, and there it is, Nibiru? I don't know. To be honest with you, I really don't know. I, I've never really subscribed to the idea that it's going to happen within our lifetime, just based on the math. But the evidence of looking for things that appear in our solar system, you know, we've seen some events like, Hail Bop, um, mm. Shoemaker, Shoemaker Levy 9 that broke up into nine fragments and struck Jupiter. Most of these large events that are a solar system level event, they're always spotted by the amateur astronomers before the professional community. We it's have true. such a large amount of global amateur astronomers, they usually will pick these things up and then escalate it to the professional community. So in my opinion, anything that's four to eight times the size of Earth we're definitely going to see it if it's anywhere near the inner part of the solar system. You would hope so at this point. 
It, it'll be a, a sad day in NASA if they don't see it, and it's coming right towards towards <laughs> us. Uh, now, what are the chances though they do see it and they don't say anything anyway? But of course, then the amateurs, uh, the amateur astronomers out there, I'm sure would eventually uh, pick up on um, something that's going on, something that's coming our way. Only if uh, they know where to look. Well, yeah, then then there's that. If they do know where to look, the thing is, uh, again, space is very big, huh, Jason? Yeah, that's the other part of it is, as you mentioned earlier, NASA uh, in the late 80s and 90s became aware of orbital perturbations on the outer planets. Mm. Which the planets are being pulled in a certain direction, and they're like, huh, right. what is it? Where is this large mass? Uh, you know, is it a planet? And since then, they've revised their math calculations and started using infrared scopes to look out there and see if they can find any other bodies in our solar system. And yes, they found a bunch of these extrasolar planets. Uh, the problem is is that most of them are very cold rocks, if you will, just large floating rocks out right. there. Right, yeah. Bedna, Quoar, Xena, they give them all these funny names, but they're just large chunks of ice. Um, at least we're aware of them now. And the, the challenge really is this, is, yeah, there's so many of these things floating out there. To actually plot the orbit of all of them just requires too much manpower. So... The only ones that I'm really interested in are something that's four to eight times the size of Earth, very large, as what's described as the ancient Nibiru, which was depicted as a glowing cross in the sky. Now, do you think Nibiru is, uh, in Revelations, of course, of course Wormwood was uh, uh, the, the name of it. Do you think Wormwood is Nibiru? You know, I, I really don't know. I know we have a lot of these, uh, biblical ties with right. earlier versions of Sumerian, like, you know, the flood tablet or the story of Adam or the story of uh, Noah's Ark or any of these types of things. Right. There's a, there is a Sumerian derivative that predates the English version. So, yes, I'm sure it's possible that some of the information of a global catastrophe caused by Nibiru's passing and the great flood and such these are talked about in the Sumerian epic of creation, where in English we have seven days of creation. In Sumerian, we have seven stone tablets of creation, part of a longer tale, the Enuma Elish. Uh, and they're very specific about why there was a great flood. It was the passing of this large planet. And, you know, it's explained that possibly our ice sheets, like Antarctica and South America, uh, South Antarctic region, uh, Nibiru passing by could have literally just cracked off an ice sheet and literally just uh, like an ice cube going into a glass of water, the, the water levels rise uh, instantly all over the world. Um, now, whether that's going to happen again in the future or how that would play out, who knows? Um, hmm. But we would definitely be able to see, uh, you know, I believe, some planet that size, 48 times the size of Earth, uh, I believe would be spotted uh, early on. Yeah, you would think. Uh, let me ask you real quick, Jason. Uh, you know, most of your research is based, obviously, um, I would say, uh, when it comes to the uh, the Sumerian text on Zechariah Sitchin's work, correct? Well, Zechariah Sitchin's work is the basis for looking at the Sumerian culture, uh, the, the idea that there, there's these depictions all over Iran and Iraq of these beings with wings uh, mm -hmm. depicted as gods, what we see is a similarity to all the other cultures right. around the world that depict and have similar stories of gods coming down. That's the angle that I've always been interested in, is this global uh, system of kind of 
something that was happening to our ancient cultures that involved beings coming down from the sky. Zachariah Sitchin has gotten a lot of controversy because there are either fundamental Christians or people who are linguists that would argue a certain term like Anunnaki or let's say the word Nephilim or Nibiru. But there are very few that were able to take the information in its entirety and to, and to distill it into a way that makes logical sense based, again, on the similarities we see from other cultures around the world. And so what Zachariah did was very intriguing in that he vetted the Sumerian culture's knowledge of these Anunnaki, but then also showed how this type of information spread to other cultures, like the Egyptian winged disc being very similar to what we see as the winged disc used by the Anunnaki in southern Iraq. So, now, let me ask you, though, has, has, has there been any um, researchers uh, that have verified Zechariah's uh, work and uh, said that he's, you know, what he's done is credible? Well, wh when you say verify his work, there's only about 250 people in the world that actually translate cuneiform script directly. Okay. Zechariah Sitchin has now passed away. Correct. Yeah. So it would really take someone who looks at the information, again, not through the layman or the strict right. academic eye, I can but never more, do again, it. Through, this, through this ancient <laughs> astronaut lens, which, again, looks for similarities that we see in patterns coming from other cultures that we just, you know, don't explain how they could have had this information unless there was some type of intervention by some lost race or possibly extraterrestrials. Fascinating. Jason, listen, we're almost out of time. I do want to give you a chance to uh, plug your website. Uh, if any conventions you want to be on uh, that you want to talk about or, or you know, if you have a book you want to go ahead and plug real quick, go for it. Yeah, just basically as we began the show, I let everyone know I'm starting a new service. It's called Ancient School, and so I have a special bonus. It's basically uh, Ancient School is going to allow you to receive video lessons with top experts delivered cool. right to your inbox. So. Yeah, you can check out a free lesson if you just go to ancientbonus.com forward slash radio. Ancientbonus.com forward slash radio, and you can get a free video lesson and a copy of one of my books uh, just for listening tonight to tonight's show. That's awesome. Everybody listening, uh, please uh, check out the website and, and get a copy. Good stuff. Thank you so much again for having me on your show. No, Jason, thank you, thank you so much for being here with us on Skywatchers Radio. Yeah, really thanks appreciate for the time. time. We really, really do appreciate it. We're, we're almost out of time. We definitely want to have you back on pretty soon, though. You've been a fascinating guest. And the ancient alien uh, theory, the ancient astronauts, Nibiru, Planet X, all that stuff is fascinating, isn't it, Alan? I mean, it just fascinates the heck out of you me. You have so. no idea. Uh, I'm more than enthusiastic. I just don't sound it at this hour of the night. <laughs> so imagine when we move to uh, 1 in the morning. Jeez. Uh, but, Jason, <laughs> thank Thank you again, uh, my friend, for being on here, and we will be in contact soon so we can have you back on the show here on Skywatchers. Uh, fascinating uh, gentleman, everybody. Jason Martell. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Take care. Guys, uh, we're almost out of time here. I want to wish uh, everybody a, a great evening, a fantastic evening, a nice evening, it's like, except for Alan. I don't know. I think he already fell asleep on us. Alan. <laughs> There he goes. Okay, yeah, he's sleeping. Uh, and for everybody listening in through Dark Matter Radio Network on PSN Radio, for Keith Rowland, our webmaster and the chief in charge, for my uh, sleeping co-host Alan Weiler, this is uh, Skywatchers Radio. I'm Angel Espino, <laughs> and we will be back next week with another installment of Skywatchers Radio. So stick around. By the way, 
stick around for real because right after this show, Epic Voyages will be on. And uh, that's going to be on the Dark Matter Radio Network, so please stick around for that. And also, please stick around uh, if you're listening on PSN. Open Minds will be next in a few minutes. And guess who they have on, Alan? Guess who their guest is? Oh, uh, gee. Uh, let's see. Since Alejandro Rojas is part of Open Minds, probably not him. Who do they have this week? No, they, they have a guy named Jason Martell on. Psh, go figure. Really? You think about it? Hey, by the way, you know, I just realized that this week I forgot to wish him a happy birthday. Uh, so if he does actually end up listening to this, happy birthday, Travis. Uh, yes. Mention that. Travis Walton, yeah, happy birthday to Travis. And also happy birthday to Nancy Burns, uh, by the way. Happy birthday to Nancy, too. Yeah, people celebrating birthdays all over the world, and that's always good. Guys, we'll catch you next week. Please stick around for the shows coming up. Skywatchers Radio out. Take care, everybody. Nighty night. Death.